Welcome to Quantum Magazine's podcast. Each episode, we bring you stories about developments in science and mathematics. I'm Susan Vallett. Scientists have recently discovered scores of free-floating worlds that defy classification. The new observations have forced them to rethink their theories of star and planet formation. That's next. It's season three of The Joy of Why, and I still have a lot of questions. Like, what is this thing we call time? Why does altruism exist? And where is Jan 11? I'm here, astrophysicist and co-host, ready for anything. That's right, I'm bringing in the A-team. So brace yourselves. Get ready to learn. I'm Jan 11. I'm Steve Strogatz. And this is... Quantum Magazine's podcast, The Joy of Why. New episodes drop every other Thursday. Galileo Galilei, a mathematician at the University of Padua, trained a spyglass of his own creation on the sky. He was overwhelmed. He saw more than 500 new stars in the constellation Orion, in addition to the familiar three in the hunter's belt and six in the sword. In October of 2023, astronomers used the James Webb Space Telescope to zoom in on one of the middle stars in the sword and identified another 500 or so previously unseen spots. The worlds are so small and dim that they blur the line between star and planet. It's an ambiguity that plagued Galileo, who referred to the moons of Jupiter as both stars and planets in the same page in his 1610 astronomical treatise. And it continues to trouble astronomers today. Samuel Pearson is an astronomer with the European Space Agency. It's this sort of interesting gray area in between. When we look at the solar system, it's all nice and neat. That you, get, like, you get the sun and you get planets and you can put them in different boxes. You're like, good, these are very different. And then when we actually sort of go and have a look, you realize that there's a full spectrum of basically every other mass in between that. So you get the larger brown dwarfs that are almost certainly just forming the same way stars do. And then you get to smaller brown dwarfs, you're like, oh, what's going on here? And then you reach the planetary mass regime. You probably also have things that are forming like planets around stars. They're being kicked out. You get this sort of this whole crossover between a somewhat chaotic gray area. But there's lots of things going on there that are really interesting. The Webb Telescope observation bolsters a growing catalog of isolated objects occupying this gray zone between giant planets and tiny stars. These solitary worlds, sometimes called free-floating or rogue planets, drift freely through space. While astronomers can estimate the mass of these dark Jupiter-mass balls of gas, their origins remain mysterious. Are they actually planets that once orbited stars but were somehow spit out? Or are they more like microstars that failed to ignite? Rather than answering this question, the Webb observation adds to the mystery. The telescope's infrared eye found that dozens of the worlds appear to be in pairs orbiting each other. It's a puzzling arrangement that, if confirmed, would defy expectations. Ninka van der Merrill is a researcher who studies planet formation at Leiden Observatory in the Netherlands. She says we're missing something, and we don't know what it is. These improbable duos cannot be easily explained by any known formation theories of either stars or free-floating planets. 
But within a week of the Webb telescope announcement, researchers published a daring new idea describing how giant planets might be ejected from their home system in pairs, an event most researchers had thought all but impossible. Whether or not the proposal can fully account for the entire zoo of dim, starless worlds remains to be seen, but researchers expect that a refined understanding of free-floating worlds and the star systems that create them is at hand. Peter Plavchin is an astrophysicist at George Mason University who wasn't involved in detecting the pairs of Jupiters. Their result may hold up, and we'll know in a year. And if indeed it's confirmed in a year, it will truly be groundbreaking. And I think that's why they published this paper and got this paper published, because there is a chance, a good chance, that at least for some of these objects, they're right. Free-floating worlds escaped the notice of astronomers for centuries because they're extremely dark. To fuse hydrogen and shine brightly, stars need to be at least 80 times as massive as Jupiter. Rogue worlds are much lighter and are commonly defined as weighing less than 13 Jupiters. In fact, the relative invisibility of free-roaming planets once prompted some astrophysicists to wonder whether there might be enough of these objects to account for dark matter, the unidentified bulk of mass that appears to hold galaxies together. This question motivated astronomers to search for signs of such worlds in the 1990s, which they did by looking for the subtle ways in which their gravity would distort the appearance of stars they had passed in front of. The indirect nature of these micro-lensing surveys wasn't well-suited for identifying individual free-floating objects, but they showed that there wasn't enough of whatever was out there to make up the dark matter. The first images of rogue worlds came in the 2000s, when astronomers spotted a few objects still glowing in infrared light from the heat of their formation. Based on those observations, one possible origin emerged. In 2010, astrophysicists, including Sean Raymond at the University of Bordeaux in France, simulated the evolution of planetary systems. They found that when one gas giant planet punts a sibling from their home system, as sometimes happens, the expulsion stretches the survivor's orbit into an ellipse. Astronomers had seen these skewed orbits, which Raymond's group and other researchers interpreted as scars of past interplanetary trauma. The first substantial catalog of free-floating worlds came not from planet hunters, but from star hunters searching for star-like objects with even less heft than brown dwarfs. Nuria Miret Roche of the University of Vienna and Hervé Bouy of the University of Bordeaux were looking for the most dwarfish of brown dwarfs in Scorpius. The constellation hosts a gassy nebula that cranks out lots of stars and planets. Here's Miret Roche. So what we did is map this region in the optical and in the infrared. Um, infrared is really important here because these planets are very, very cold. Mm. So they emit most radiation at longer wavelengths in the infrared. So they shine the most in the infrared. Amid more than 26 million pinpricks of infrared light in 80,000 images, they searched for dimly glowing objects that moved across their field of view in observations spanning 20 years. In 2021, they announced that they had found around 100 candidate objects between 4 and 13 Jupiter masses. This increased the number of known rogue worlds by about a factor of five. 
Here's Mirat Roj again. We search for these planets in this young star-forming region. And an important property of nearborn stars and planets is that they form in groups in big families. They move together in the sky, sharing the same motion that the parent molecular cloud had. So if we know the motion of these objects, it makes it easy to identify them as part of the family and separate them from the background population. With more than just a handful of free-floating objects to analyze, the researchers could then begin to ask basic questions about where these worlds had come from. One possibility was that they had coalesced from the disc-shaped debris that surrounds a newly born star, as planets do. And then some chance encounter with a neighbor had ejected them, in the style of Raymond's 2010 simulations. The second possibility was that they had formed alone, when an isolated cloud of hydrogen and helium became dense enough to collapse into a ball. This is how stars are born, and it would make these worlds less like planets and more like the galaxy's tiniest brown dwarfs. Miret Roj and Bui concluded that their candidates likely contained worlds that had formed in both ways. The lightest objects were probably punted planets, although the astronomers had found too many of them to easily explain using planetary ejection models alone. Here's Miret Roj. There are many, many free-floating planets. They are very common. And probably they form by different mechanisms. At the time being, it's very complicated to say which is the contribution of each mechanism. This we don't know yet, but we know that probably both have important contributions. But how many of the 100 free-floating worlds were planets, and how many were star-like? The researchers couldn't say. Three days after Miret Roj and Bowie posted their results, the James Webb Space Telescope launched along with a new era for free-floating planet hunting. Astronomers had suspected that the Webb telescope would be a free-floating planet-finding machine. It sits far beyond the interfering murk of Earth's atmosphere. Its giant mirror gives it far more sensitivity to the fine features of the universe than its forerunner, the Hubble Space Telescope. And it picks up infrared light, which makes it perfect for spotting dimly glowing worlds. Pearson partnered with Mark McCochran, a European Space Agency astronomer, to look more deeply for free-floating worlds than had previously been possible. They were fascinated by star formation and planet formation and wanted to target objects like brown dwarfs in the chaotic gray area between the two. There, Pearson says, you get the crossover of both worlds. In October of 2022, Pearson and McCochran spun the space telescope toward a central star in the sword hanging from Orion's belt. In 35 hours, they got 12,500 images. It took Pearson months to align those images of the Orion Nebula pixel by pixel. The formidable task was frustrated by the telescope's exquisite sensitivity. Many of the faint objects typically used as landmarks blinded the web's ultra-sensitive eye. Here's Pearson. One of the problems we had initially was most of the brown dwarves were saturated, even with like the short exposure times, which is just not a problem I've ever encountered with any other telescope. That like, oh, yeah, the, the brown dwarves that are normally difficult to see are lighting out bits of the detector. After completing the cosmic mosaic, Pearson was rewarded with an abundance of the mysterious worlds he sought more than 500 free-floating objects of a few Jupiter masses speckled the Orion Nebula. 
But the real surprise was that when he looked closely, he saw something that initially didn't make much sense. Some of the blobs of light were pairs of Jupiter mass objects. In all, he counted 42 pairs of whirling Jupiters, a striking number. The things coming out in pairs, I'd noticed that there was a while between me noticing it and then me realizing how important that was. I'd noticed it and then written a note of, there's lots of stuff in pairs, this is quite annoying. Because for doing photometry, you end up basically drawing a circle around a star, counting how much light there is there. And if you put two things right next to each other, circles start overlapping, it gets a little bit annoying. So I'd be like, oh, there's all this stuff in pairs. This is irritating, we'll deal with that later. Fixed a bunch of other problems, then had to come back to you like, hang on, why is there all this fake stuff in pairs? It really shouldn't be. And then sort of the penny dropped a bit. And you're like, right, we should look at this very carefully. <laughs> From a theoretical perspective, these duos seemed nearly impossible. They were unlikely to be punted planets. That's because when one planet kicks another out of a stellar system, the ejected planet almost always flies off alone. But they couldn't be stars either, since many of them weighed as little as a single Jupiter, a mass too light for the object to have formed directly from a collapsing gas cloud. The team dubbed their mystery duos Jupiter Mass Binary Objects, or Jumbos for short, and described them in a preprint posted last October. The Jumbos caught experts in both star and planet formation flat-footed. Matthew Bate is an astrophysicist at the University of Exeter, specializing in star formation. He says it wasn't predicted at all, and there are no existing theories where we'd expect these wide, free-floating planetary objects in these numbers. Astronomers had previously observed that although many massive stars twirl through space with partners, the percentage of coupled-off stars falls with their mass. Planet formation researcher Ninka Vandermerel says they usually expect trends to continue, so the percentage of Jupiter mass objects in pairs should go to zero. Leaping up to 10% hadn't been on anyone's web telescope bingo card. The catch is that at least some of the jumbos are probably mirages. The Orion Nebula is extremely dusty, and the deeper an object lies in a dusty environment, the tougher it is to distinguish it from a distant, more massive star behind the nebula, which would be expected to have a partner. In previous studies, between 20% and 80% of what looked like free-floating worlds turned out to be ordinary stars. Here's Nuria Miret Roj again. Many of these candidates are probably going to be exciting, and this is fantastic news. But at the same time, there are still a few things that at least one needs to be a bit cautious. This year, Pearson and McCochran are using the Webb telescope to again observe their batch of free-floating worlds, this time in a richer spectrum of colors. Here's Pearson. The main thing that will do is tell us what's our contamination rate, because once you've got a spectrum, there's basically nowhere to hide, particularly with the small things. It's either this is planetary mass or this is some oh. sort of intruder. And the <laughs> so we'll, we'll know the confirmation rate there, but also then get a much better idea of the spectral type, effective temperature, surface gravity. These follow-up observations will help confirm which jumbos are real by looking for traces of methane or water in their atmospheres, a telltale signature of Jupiter mass worlds. Even without confirmation, theorists are already racing to explain these perplexing worlds. Rosalba Perna, an astrophysicist at Stony Brook University, heard about Orion's jumbos in the news before she even read Pearson's paper. 
Perna and Yihan Wang of the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, have been studying what happens when a star flies past another solar system. They had focused mainly on simulating systems with a single giant planet, but the jumbos got Perna wondering, what if there were two giant planets? She called up Wang and asked him to see what would happen if he stuck a second Jupiter into the simulations. Wang set up his program to hurl digital stars at countless two-Jupiter stellar systems from all angles. He also set up the software to notify him if the intruder star sent both planets careening off into space together, creating a jumbo. Then he sent the code off to a computing cluster at his university and went to lunch. When Wang returned to his office and checked his computer, he found a list of alerts reading, Binary Planet Formed! From tens of billions of simulations, the team saw that booting pairs of Jupiters was relatively easy if the planets happened to be quite close together when the marauding star swept by. This happened especially often for neighbors with tightly spaced orbits, like Uranus and Neptune. In such cases, up to 20 out of 100 ejections produced jumbos. That's more than enough to account for the 10% rate Pearson had seen in Orion. But for planets with more distantly spaced orbits, like Jupiter and Neptune, almost all ejections resulted in lone planets. With input from Wang's colleague Zhao Huan Zhu, the group worked around the clock. The trio wrote up their results and posted a preprint in October of last year, just one week after the jumbo find. Other theoretical astrophysicists have yet to fully digest the new results, but they find them plausible and surprising. Here's astrophysicist Sean Raymond. That's such a spectacular to be able to find that many in one place at all. And the binaries, oh, I didn't see that coming. That's really, really cool. That's really surprising. Mm -hmm. And until like this paper, I would have said, well, that means they probably must have formed as stars or something because that's weird to get that kind of binary. I didn't think that was possible to do from an ejection point of view. Still, some details of the stellar intruder theory will need further study. The Orion Nebula is a dense place with lots of stars whizzing around, but is it chaotic enough to first make solar systems and then break them apart, all within a few million years? Also, many of Pearson and McCochran's jumbos orbit one another at great distances. They are multiple times farther from one another than Pluto is from Earth. But according to Wang's simulations, the only way to get such widely spaced jumbos is to start with similarly spaced out solar systems, which astronomers rarely see. Astrophysicist Matthew Bate says we know from direct imaging searches of young stars that very few stars have giant planets in wide orbits. He says it's difficult to accept that there were many large planetary systems in Orion to disrupt. At this point, many researchers suspect there's more than one way to make these strange in-between objects. For instance, with some fiddling, theorists might find that supernova shockwaves can compress smaller gas clouds and help them collapse into pairs of tiny stars more readily than expected. And Wang's simulations have shown that booting giant planets in pairs is, at least in some cases, theoretically unavoidable. While many questions remain, the multitude of free-floating worlds discovered in the last two years has taught researchers two things. First, they form quickly, over millions of years rather than billions. 
In Orion, gas clouds have collapsed and planets have formed, and some, perhaps, have even been dragged into the abyss by passing stars, all during the time in which modern humans were evolving on Earth. Second, there are a ton of untethered worlds out there. And the heavy gas giants are the hardest to evict from their systems, much as a bowling ball would be the hardest object to knock off a billiard table. This observation suggests that for every Jupiter spotted, numerous free-floating Neptunes and Earths are going unnoticed. We likely live in a galaxy teeming with banished worlds of all sizes. Now, nearly half a millennium after Galileo marveled at the myriad pinpricks of light, moons, planets, and stars in Earth's skies, his successors are getting acquainted with the brightest tip of the iceberg of darker objects adrift between them. Astrophysicist Sean Raymond says it's neat to think about. So we know there's a whole bunch of crap between stars, right? We already know there's a bunch of gas. Some of that gas ends up forming the stars later, or just hanging out there absorbing, you know, certain light from more distant stars. But now we know more and more that there's all sorts of things between us and other stars. Some things are a little small and rocky or icy going up to like giant Jupiters. And so it's just kind of opening a window on all of that. Not just these free-floating planets, but free-floating stuff in general. Arlene Santana helped with this episode. I'm Susan Vallett. For more on this story, read Charlie Wood's full article, Rogue Worlds Throw Planetary Ideas Out of Orbit, on our website, quantummagazine.org. Make sure to tell your friends about the Quantum Magazine Science Podcast and give us a positive review or follow where you listen. It helps people find this podcast. Mm -hmm.